My name is Jose, and we're in week three of a series called Teach Us uh, to Pray. And if you've missed it, we've got a podcast for free. Go to our website, and I, I encourage you to go to iTunes and subscribe it. So if you're gone, you can catch up. But to, to catch you up this morning, what is prayer? Well, prayer is an invitation. It's not just a religious exercise. It's not just a have to or a got to. It's a get to. We are invited by God to know his heart, to know his mind, and to begin to think like him. And so what we've been discovering is that we are invited to relationship, to step into our father's world and begin to do life on his terms. So last week, we looked at Matthew 6. Why don't you just go there? Last week, we looked at Matthew 6 to see how Jesus frames what prayer at its best is like. And I say at its best because, disclaimer, we all fall, fall short. Jesus has this perfect relationship. He gets up in the morning and he talks to his father. His father tells him what to do. His father gives him the power to live. Perfectly, Jesus models that relationship with the father. We do it imperfectly. So prayer is something we can grow in. Well, last week we just read uh, what the Lord's prayer is. We'll read it again. I think it may be on the screen. It says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is clearest teaching on what prayer is like. And last week we talked about the three yours and the three hours. And then we'll leave it up on the screen just so you can see it or you can look down at your Bible. Three yours. Your name be made top. We're praying that God's name would be seen as greatest, that God would be seen for who he is. Your kingdom come, that whatever God wants to do would actually happen. God's agenda accomplished. Your will be done, practically speaking, that whatever God wants, that's what happens. So the invitation to prayer is for us to get out of our way of thinking, which is good, but let's just admit it, flawed, right? We don't see as God sees. So we, we come with who we are, nothing wrong with that, but we want to get into God's way of thinking. Your, your, your prayer begins with us coming to God and stepping into his own world. But then there are the three hours. There are three prayers, six prayers in all, three prayers that are focused on us. So let's just look at those. Give us today our daily bread. Bread is the staple in the time of Jesus. And in, in our world, if you think about it, it's the base level, what you and I need to sustain us. So we come to God asking for our bread. Now the word daily is a, a tricky one because you could translate it multiple ways. It could mean like it's printed here, give us today our daily bread. It could be translated, give us bread for the coming day. Give us tomorrow's bread today. Either way you translate it, it's the same idea. So in the morning you say, give us bread for the coming day. Give us breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But then when you pray at night, because those who were Jews would pray morning, noon, and night. At night, you, you pray the same thing. Give us the bread for the coming day. I'm looking ahead. Tomorrow morning, there are no refrigerators. There are no pantries at the time of Jesus. Day by day need. We come to God. 
the invitation is to come to God for what we need every day in the coming moment. We're always looking ahead. There's a future. And in the future, I need God now, but I'm praying now. I need God one step from now. If you give me tomorrow, give me tomorrow's bread today. Give us bread for the coming day. Give us our daily bread. Any way you translate it, the idea is I will never stop needing God for life. So we pray for bread. Secondly, verse 12, uh, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He's not talking about a credit card bill. He's actually talking about sin. Luke 11, which we'll read a little later on, is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Not only do you and I have daily physical monetary needs, rent, car payments, insurance, all the stuff. We also have deep-seated relational needs, emotional needs. That is, sin is not only an offense to God. We only, not only break God's commands against God, but when we go against God, it often affects the people around us, doesn't it? Much of the mistakes that we make not only impair us, but it hurts so many people around us. Mom and dad can't figure it out. It affects the kids. In the workplace, one person gets greedier than the others or tries to push others so that they can get ahead and it affects the whole office environment. Sin is not only against God, but we sin against one another. So when we come to God, we, we say daily, give us bread for the coming day. Give us forgiveness. We need to be forgiven. Give us uh, a relief, so to speak. Forgive us our debts. God, we're indebted to you. And then there's an interesting phrase. Forgive us uh, as we have also forgiven our debtors. There is a connection here. Don't miss this. When we come to God, we don't forgive the debts of the people against us. Let's look at sin. I can't forgive sin, can I? God forgives sin. Like, I, I, I can't clear the plate. All of us are accountable to the one who made us. Whether you and I believe it or not, we are accountable to our creator. We have to remember that. Prayer is stepping into God's world, into the Father's world. And in the Father's world, he creates, and we are the creation. And we are accountable to him. The scriptures say, one day you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for everything, the good and the bad. We're accountable to God. So in coming to God in prayer, I recognize I need God's forgiveness. I need grace instead of judgment. Can some of you admit this morning, I want to admit this morning, I need God's grace to forgive me. But also what I can do is I can forgive the debtor. I, I can't forgive their sin. God has to come and forgive their sin. God alone is the one who forgives sins. But I can release them from the sin done against me, can I? When we come to God in prayer, we're saying, God, I've been hurt by others, and I have hurt others. So forgive me for the hurt I've caused, and I release those who sinned against me, whether they intended to or it was unintentional, but I'm feeling the effect. There is something powerful when we come to God and say, I need you. I need you to forgive me, and I need you to give me the power to forgive and release others. So forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Then verse 13, the, the, the third hour, so to speak, although the word hour isn't in there, the assumption is we need it. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from 
the evil one. Now this is, if you read it at face value in English, it's kind of tricky, like lead us not into temptation. We're not saying, God, please don't send me over the cliff, right? Like you're out to get me. No, that's a misreading. Temptation simply means test. Lead us not into the, te- into the test. So is God trying to test us? No, James 1, 13 through 14 clarifies. When tempted or tested, no one should say God is tempting or testing me. God cannot be tempted by evil. He doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. So all of my desires are not evil. They're just mixed. I have lots of desires. Some of them are good. Some of them are not in line with God's plan. So when I pray, I'm not saying God don't test me as if you're out to get me. I'm saying, God, I need you to guide me through the test because my desires are mixed. Sometimes I want what you want. Sometimes, most of the time, I want what I want. God, lead me and guide me to bread. I need to eat. To grace and forgiveness. I need to release debt and I need my debt erased. And I'm in a test. Every day is an opportunity. Test isn't a negative thing. You're in school and you take an exam. An exam at its best is supposed to just see what you know. See where you're at. Evaluate. And God in his goodness evaluates us. He uses circumstances, trials, struggles. He uses all sorts of things in our world to see what is really there. And what I'm saying is, God, every day, I need you to guide me. So bread for the body, forgiveness for the soul, deliverance and guidance for the mind. I need God in every area of my life, physical, relational, mental, emotional. I need God at every level. And here's the good thing. God invites us in prayer to himself. So what I need when I pray is not answers. Hear me. I need God. The core and the fundamental nature of prayers, I am invited to God. If God is present when I come towards him, I will have exactly what I need. Now, what is prayer at its fundamental level? It's taken us three weeks to get here. I'm very complex in the way I think. Write this down. It's going to take a while. Prayer is asking. (laughs) That's it. It's taken us three weeks to get there. But don't miss the foundation, though, because when you say prayer is asking, that could be taken in all sorts of levels. So I'm going to spend the rest of my time clarifying what I mean by prayer is asking. But don't miss the simplicity of it. Some of us have gotten, like, stopped in our prayer life because we tried to make it more complex than it really is. I'm praying your name, your kingdom, your will, and our bread, and our debts, and our need for guidance. It's asking. I'm asking that God would be God in this world, and I'm asking that I would have God in this world. Prayer is asking. So prayer is coming to God saying, God, you are everything that I need. Now, before we move on, I want us to see the connection that some of us just reading it fast, we missed, but it's right there in the text. There is a connection between your, 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 and our, our, our. There's a guy who's a a brilliant writer, thinker. He grew up and has served in the Middle East. So when we read the scriptures, which were written by mostly Middle Eastern men, we're reading it 
And we live in the West. We live in, with a mindset that is different. If just, just travel to the Middle East and you'll find that the, the, at, at base level, your assumptions are different. When you're negotiating with someone from the Middle East and how you treat food and hospitality, our way of thinking is different than those in the Middle East. And in the time of Jesus, um, a guy named Kenneth Bailey tries to unpack how Jesus lived and taught. Uh, and it's called Je- uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. I highly recommend it. If you ever want to look at the cultural statements of Jesus and how they fit in Middle Eastern thinking, uh, Kenneth Bailey, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. He makes the connection between the Ur and the Ar. And I'll throw something on the screen to help. Uh, He says, each of the petitions involves an act of God and each specifies or implies participation on the part of the believer. So we'll throw up the first three, the Ur prayers. Okay. God makes his name holy and I'm expected to live a holy life. So there's a connection. It's not that we're just praying, God, you be holy, and I'm going to do what I want. The implication of the prayer is that I would live holy. God brings his kingdom, and I'm going to work towards the goal of it coming. And, and he, he, God fulfills his will, and I'm to discover that will and obey it in daily life. So as we are praying, the your is not different from the our. When I come and ask for God to be God, I'm saying, God, do that through me. And then look at the back three. He gives the gift of daily bread, and I must work to earn it. He forgives. Oh, by the way, I must forgive. He guides me away from evil, and I must live a life of righteousness. So in other words, the Lord's prayer is not a cop out. It's not an emotional scape so that you can avoid the realities of life. It's not like, I'm just going to put the pressure on God because God is God and I'm just going to like go with the flow. That's not how we pray. The way we pray is quite simple. God works and we work. And that's how prayer works. God, we're inviting God to work, but then we are saying in our prayer, We want to work in alignment with who God is. So prayer is an invitation to active relationship, not static, not God do whatever you want and I'm just going to be over here if you need me. It's an active prayer. God, as I get to know you, I want to live like you. Now this is a challenge for us at a core level because none of us, or that's overstatement, most of us have grown up with more than enough. How many of you would say you have more than four sets of clothing to wear in your closet? How many of you have four? Put it up. Four. Okay. How many of you, this is going to get really harsh. How many of you have more than five pairs of shoes running or dress? I don't care. More than five pairs of shoes. Okay. Okay. Spoiled. We're just, we're just spoiled. So at a fundamental level, this is what we've been taught to believe. So, so we're transformed, Romans 12 says, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need our mind to be renewed and prayer is a vehicle where you can get in touch with God so he can change the way you think. The way we think as those of us who live in, here in America or in Western thinking is it is my responsibility to make life happen. We don't depend on God We doubt if he exists. Our challenge in sharing the gospel is to help people to see that they actually need a divine power because they're doing fine by themselves. 
But you and I, as believers in Jesus, we can actually get duped by that lie. You are not fine by yourself. We are not self-made. If God does not give us breath, we do not breathe. If God does not give us food, we do not eat. If God does give, doesn't give us an education, we cannot learn. God is the author and source of all things. So at a fundamental level, we need to reshift the way we think. This is a whole worldview transformation that's so hard to do because my default mode is to go to my dependence on me and my friends to make things happen. And the heart and the art of prayer is to come hungry and desperate for God. We're going to have to actually learn how to do that. If we don't learn, God has an interesting way of peeling away layers. Have you ever found that? You're putting your hope in that person and the person's gone. You're putting your hope in that paycheck and the paycheck's gone. You're putting your hope in your, in your physical ability. I work out, I do this, I do that, I eat well, and yet you still come down with whatever. God has a way of reminding us in his goodness that apart from him, we really can't do anything. So we are going to have to learn, and prayer is going to help us, that without God, I don't have a thing. It is why, hands down, it, I get to travel a bunch, and around the world, those of you who have been around the world, you go to church in places that have a, a lower economic status than the U.S. You know what you find? Greater joy, hands down. We are disgruntled because we're obsessed with more. We need more. We crave more. You go to a place where someone is fortunate and they're happy if there's one decent meal a day and you find joy because God gave Sunday's daily bread. We're dissatisfied because we're spoiled. Secondly, you find that there's joy. And secondly, you find that there's prayer that's authentic. People pray as if they know God. As if God is listening. As if God is, is present. And we find that oftentimes, I'm, I'm overgeneralizing, but oftentimes our prayer is just so one-sided and so boring. It's because we actually don't come dependent on God. We know we need to. We know we're supposed to. But I'm relying on everything else. Prayer is the art of coming into the Father's world. And I remember, apart from God, I have nothing. And until we get to that place of desperation, until we get to that place of absolute need, we will only go so far in our prayer because when I trust me, I don't need to pray. Right? If I can buy lunch, do I need God for lunch? No. But when I recognize that God is the author of everything and all I have is grace and all I have is gift, then I come thankful, God, I don't even, I don't even deserve three meals a day and snacks in between. But God, you've provided it. Now, God wants us to come this way. If you don't believe me, turn in your Bible to the right, to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 11. Go to Luke 11 and if you don't believe that God wants us to come desperate like that, then read the Lord's Prayer again. It, it shows up in two places, Matthew 6 and Luke 11. But uh, there's a twist here, and we'll spend the rest of our time in Luke because Luke shows us something that Matthew does not in this prayer. All right, so Luke 1, 
uh, I'm sorry, 11 verse 1. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples sent him, Lord, teach us to pray. Great name for a series. Just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Oh, there's no Father who's in heaven. Okay, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Oh, no, no, your will be done. That's interesting. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. You notice, not debts, sins. As we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. No deliverance from evil. The prayer is almost the same, but it's not the same. So for you, for you people who are trying to learn how to study the Bible, context really matters. What's context? Every verse sits within other verses. There are some before, there's some after. Not only do those verses sit, they sit in a, in a book. The Bible isn't a book, it's a library. And so each book, you have to see it, or each letter or each gospel, you have to see it as its own, but then sitting within others. We need to learn to read the Bible. So when I read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, I'm not reading the same thing. Jesus is up on a mountainside teaching everyone in Matthew 6. He's here with some of his disciples in Luke 11. Now, did Jesus repeat himself? Yeah, because that's what good preachers do. They just, they got a one-hit wonder and they, they travel. They write one book, they make a ton of money and just say the same old thing every time. Jim Williams, you know what I'm talking about. Author, guilty. You know, Jim has four messages. They're just really good. No, anyway. He's got five, okay? He's been around a while. You repeat yourself. But when you repeat yourself, you don't always say the same thing, do you? No one does. And you say things with a nuance for a reason. So Matthew 6 is not the same thing as Luke 11. And that's good because Matthew's doing one thing, Luke's doing something else. Matthew is talking about how to live in the kingdom life. The Sermon on the Mount is how you and I, it's this great way of saying, here's the ideal for us. And we are little by little getting to the way that Jesus wants us to live. Interestingly, Matthew puts the Lord's Prayer directly in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Precisely the same number of verses before and after. He's making a point. You put the most important in the middle. We cannot live the kingdom life apart from talking to the king. Prayer is central. That's Matthew's point. But Luke has a different point to make. And he he gives us what Jesus says, Lord's Prayer. It looks almost the same, except there's some differences. Let's look at verse 5. What comes after? Because what comes after is going to tell us why he writes what he writes. Then Jesus said to them, talking about prayer, suppose you have a friend. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, you got a friend. Okay. So most of us are there, right? Suppose you have a friend, it's a parable here, and you go to him at midnight, so it's super late, and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Stop. Now, in Palestinian life, you made your food every day you often didn't have extra, okay? And so already Jesus is setting us up with this story. So you got a friend and you come to, 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 the, to this friend's house at night asking for bread. There's no pantries, there's no Fred Meyer. You don't, you're not, because to us we read this like, yeah, come, so what? You know, like 
text me. I'll have it at the front door. Don't wake me up. Like, you know, and, and I'll give you what you want. They, they can't do this. So it's day-to-day living, but you're asking this guy for three loaves of bread. Verse six, a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him because you live day to day. So the guy, the guy's living in his house. A friend comes to his house. <gasps> I got to feed him. And he's embarrassed. He doesn't have. So hospitality in the first century was the most important thing. And in Middle Eastern cultures, it's the most important thing. Shame on you if you don't lovingly care for your guests. So anyone is allowed to come when they show up at midnight. Even if you're not ready, you wake up but he's got no food. So this friend is stuck. I have to honor my guest and feed him. I cannot feed him. What do I do? I go to my buddy. So I welcome him in and I say, I'll be right back. I go to my buddy's house at midnight. He's my friend and I'm hoping he can help me. I'm hoping he has what I don't have. Verse seven. Suppose the one inside, so I go to the friend's house. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. It is midnight. Like, you know, that's fair, right? Your friend comes over at midnight, like, hello, I I got a job in the morning. Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. Everyone slept in one room. The whole house was one room. So everyone's in this, like, on the floor, knock at the door. The guy comes, hey, it's midnight. My family's sleeping. Come on. I can't get up and give you anything, verse 7 says. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will get up and give you as much as you need. So Jesus is giving a parable saying the point of prayer. Prayer is what? Prayer is asking. So he tells a little story. A guy is there. Someone comes to his house. He doesn't have enough food. What does he do? He goes to the one who may have food. He goes to his house and he knocks on the door. Person doesn't have to answer. He's not obligated. As a matter of fact, his family's sleeping. But he says the secret to prayer. Notice again, verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship... Yeah, and it gives us the reason. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Hear this. The point of the parable is not because they're friends. That's not why he's going to give him bread. The friendship is assumed. It is because of the way he came. Shameless audacity. There are other translations. This is a good one. The Greek word here is anadeia. And, and, and let me give you a definition of it. We'll throw it on the screen. Anadeia, or what we call shameless audacity or boldness, is a lack of sensitivity to what's proper. Carelessness about the good opinion of others. Shamelessness or the ignoring of convention. The way, Jesus says, the way he comes to his friend's house opens the heart of the friend to give him exactly what he needs. He's not being conventional. He's not being ho-hum. It's because of his shameless audacity. The approach with which he comes to the friend unlocks the door. So, so how, how are we supposed to ask God? Shamelessly. Shameless. In the first century, 
you would be shamed if you did not treat your guests with hospitality. This guy's reputation's on the line. So he risks his reputation with his friend. He doesn't care. He is shameless. He knocks on the door. How many times does he knock? How many times does he knock? Well, Jesus is going to hint at that. Verse 9. So I say to you, this is about the knocking. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find, oh, coincidentally, knock. You think those are random? No. Ask and seek and knock, and the door will be opened for you. We're talking about prayer as asking. So it would be real simple and short, just say, go ask. But that would miss the heartbeat of what Jesus is trying to teach us. It is the way that we ask that unlocks the answer. And Jesus is saying, ask. Now, if you're reading the New Living Translation, which is a great one, it says, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on finding. It is in a continuous present for those of you Greek students, all zero of you. It is, it is in the present and ongoing. So when, when the guy goes to his friend at night at midnight, does he knock once? Hello? <laughs> Two knocks? I know you're in there. You're like, you know, and then three knocks. Uh, and then you talk to the kids. Hey, kids, get up. It's me. Get your dad up. He's snoring. Like, you know, like, it is shameless. I think the implication is he pounds on the door until the guy gets up. And it's because the guy pounds on the door. He realizes he means business and he believes that I have what he needs. And I'm willing to open the door and give him the bread. Now, when we think about prayer, is that our approach to, to coming to Jesus. We want to be polite and tidy and we don't want to ask a lot because it seems like, well, he's God and he kind of knows what we already need. And Jesus is breaking down those misconceptions as if God is out there saying, waiting, just dying to say in every language, no. You know, say no in Spanish? No. No. Father wants, to, wants us to come and wants to amp us up and get all excited. And he wants us to come to pray and say, that's a great idea. No. Instead, Jesus says, the invitation for all of us followers is to keep on coming and keep on asking, and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. And, and guess what? The door is going to be open if you are shameless. When was the last time you were shameless with God? Like, absolutely. If your friends heard your prayers, they would mock you. What right do you have to come to God that way? You've got a lot of nerve asking for all those things. Are you kidding me? Why don't you spread the wealth? How can you ask for so much? I would say most of us haven't gotten anywhere near the shamelessness that Jesus is talking about. The audacity. And what he's saying is, as his kids, his kids... Father in heaven. Now he goes to the father metaphor again. Keep reading. Verse 11. Which of you fathers, don't miss the connection. Father, great is your name. Oh, by the way, he is a father. But which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, is going to give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, 
we'll give him a scorpion. Does that not sound weird? Come on. But he's, he's talking to people in the Middle East. And from a distance, these are things that can easily be mistaken. See, from a distance, the size of a fish could be the size of a small snake. And the size of an egg can be the size of a scorpion from a distance. He's like, which one of you fathers is going to trick your kids? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? You see, what he, what he, what he wants to do is to produce in us a quality that, that is like us. Fathers, you, don't, now you do want to trick your kids just to, if, on occasion. Like, you know. That's just called human joy, you know? You want to pull them along a little bit, but good fathers don't fool their kids. They love their children. And when a child comes hungry, wanting an egg, you don't give them a scorpion. Now, if that's human nature, how much greater is God? How much is greater is God's attitude towards us? Some of us, we just have a false view of who God is. We think that God is out to get us and out to keep from us. And Jesus is saying, you want to you understand the secret to getting into the Father's world? The Father wants to bless. The Father wants to bless. The Father's posture towards you is blessing. And he's saying, come. But when you come, come with shameless audacity, boldness. Because the trick is, when I come to the Father and I doubt the Father's love, pretty wimpy, isn't it? But when I really trust the Father, and I really know the Father, and I really come to the Father as the one who has everything I need, he has has some loaves of bread that I need now. And his posture towards me is blessing. I could keep knocking because I know he is going to give me the very thing that I need. And I don't want to be ashamed in front of my people. My guest has come. I need God to step in. So I come to God for all that I need. Now, I want us to catch the last line because you may have missed it. How much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Is that not weird? Don't miss that. It's like, so I'm asking for bread. He gives the Holy Spirit. I'm asking for healing of that relationship. He gives the Holy Spirit. I'm asking for forgiveness for my own Foolishness. Oh yeah, he gives the Holy Spirit. I'm sick. I'm not getting better. You're right. He gives the Holy Spirit. Do not miss this. Jesus does not promise that we always get the specific thing that we're asking for. This is what trips us up. I specifically asked for this and I didn't get it. It doesn't work. Well, you're right. If you believed that Jesus gives every specific thing that we ask for, the, what Jesus said is how much does the Father want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, that never made sense to me, but now it totally does. Prayer is an invitation to relationship. Prayer is an invitation to the Father's world. Guess what God gives in our coming to the Father? He gives us the Spirit. Oh, by the way, the Father and the Son, the Spirit are one. What we need is God. And guarantee, you keep... Asking, seeking, knocking to God, and you will get God. And by the way, God has everything you need. It does not mean I get every specific thing. When I was, I think, seven or eight years old, 
I was enamored with Spider-Man. Absolutely enamored. It was like when the originals for the rest of this, like, green screen garbage has come out with Spider-Man. Like the original, like it was a human being. Remember the TV show? Some of you, okay, whatever. There was a TV show and a guy playing Spider-Man and I was enamored by that. And at that point, I was early on in following Jesus. And I remember at night, we had bunk beds and I slept, slept on the bottom bunk and I would just pray to God every single night, God, would you give me Spidey powers? Would you, every single, every night, God, would you give me Spidey powers? And, and I would plead, I was shameless and I had audacity. God, would you give me spider powers? God, and I could visualize me going to my elementary school. I could visualize it. Like I, going in and climbing the walls, coming in class saying, hello. I saw myself web slinging. And when, when I turned nine, God gave me spidey powers. And I went, no, God did not give me spidey powers. I may be lovely, I don't have spidey powers. What God gave me was the Holy Spirit. Don't miss this. God gave me the answer. God answered my prayer. He answered my prayer by not giving me what I was asking, but giving me what was better. He gave me the Holy Spirit. And as I grew up, I began to ask for things that actually mattered. Not what I thought I needed, but what I actually needed. God gave me the answer. He gave me his Holy Spirit. So what am I saying? I'm saying, don't be afraid to ask and ask and ask. Some of us are timid because our earthly father was less than God. And if my earthly father was mean, and if my earthly father was stingy, and if my earthly father had all of these strings attached then I'm going to project onto my heavenly father what my earthly father is like. And I'm going to be afraid to ask, or I'm just not going to ask at all, or I'm going to ask sheepishly, or I'm going to ask with 15, if you do this, God, I will do this for you. As if he needed your help. But we sincerely pray this way. God, I will. I'll give you the rest of my life. No, you won't. He already knows you won't. (laughs) But he wants us to ask. So don't be afraid to keep asking. And when we ask, we get the Holy Spirit. So so what does it mean like to ask with shameless audacity? Let's just get into this. I'll give just a few examples because I want us this morning to ask. I want you to be thinking now about the impossible thing that you're going to ask the Father, not tonight, not tomorrow, but right now. We're going to practice. We're going to do this. What do you need to ask for? When we first started the church, I asked God for 500 baptisms in the first year. We, We didn't even have 150 people coming to pray. But I asked God for 500 not 500 people coming. Not 500 people actually responding to the faith of Jesus and being baptized. And you know what? God did not provide 500 people to be baptized in the first year. And frankly, year two, I asked God for 500 baptisms. And guess what? Year two, God did not provide 500 baptisms here at sunset. And year three, I asked for 500 baptisms. And year four, I asked for 500... 
Why 500? Is there anything mysterious? There's nothing mysterious. It was a number that came to me out of prayer and I'm asking God and I'm seeking and knocking. That hurts. <laughs> it actually does. <laughs> what am I doing? Oh. I'm asking until he provides it. I'm not afraid to ask. And if he doesn't give me all of that, I rejoice in the 50. I rejoice in the 70. I rejoice in the 100, but I know there's more. Not because I want to be involved in a church that saw 500 people baptisms, because I know 500 people turning their lives over to the leadership of Jesus is better than 400. And it's better than 300. And it's better than 200. I want more of his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so let's ask. Let's up our prayers. Let's not be content with God. Give us three. Nothing wrong with three. Just add more zeros. Because the Father wants to bless. So my, my point isn't that I got it right or wrong. The point is, I don't think God's scared of me asking. And he's not scared of you asking. So we need to ask. Now, we've all seen Christian TV. And so we need to address this. There are people in $5,000 suits flying private jets funded by people who can't make their ends meet who have said, keep on giving and God will bless you. And they will be judged by Jesus. So don't worry about them. Here's the trick. You don't judge them. Forgive them, release them but don't let them rob you of the joy of asking your father. A few wackos should not mess it up for the rest of us. You and I get to call on God for everything and anything and don't let them steal your blessing. You ask and you plead and you seek and God is going to answer. He's already doing it here. Somebody's saying like, well, that's great, but like, does that actually happen? Yeah. Three weeks ago, Kenny was teaching here and there was a group praying before the gathering and I knew what Kenny was going to teach because we all, whoever's teaching, by the way, everything I'm about to say is all here. We're not hocus pocus. We are serious about the Bible and we think about it and we think it through and we actually send our notes to leaders in the church to see if we're heretics and to correct it and shape it and and, and so, we're, so Kenny sent me his notes, just, you know, here's what I'm thinking. Okay, okay, okay great. So I knew what he was going to talk about. And, um, and we're in the prayer room. I was like, let's take five minutes and just seek God, see what God wants us to pray about for the coming gathering. And this group of people who, who none of them had his notes, none of them knew, started praying for the very things Kenny was about to say. This is three weeks ago. It was eerie. But God gave this group, daily bread. We're asking God, what should we be pleading for? And he's like, this, 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 and this. Because God knew what Kenny was going to say. And he wanted his kids to pray in alignment. You say, does God do that kind of thing? Absolutely, yes. Two weeks ago, a lady came up to me at the end of the 10 o'clock, end of this gathering. And she was so kind and so gentle. She's on staff. She's an elder, a deacon. Um, Frankly, I don't know her. But she's been coming here for a long while. And she came up to me. She's like, ever since the beginning of the gathering, God just put some thoughts in my mind. And I think I'm supposed to share. She kept apologizing. I'm like, all right, bring it on. Like, you know, I have no problem with this. And she's like, I, and she just said some stuff. 
And I'm not going to bore you with the details, but she's like, is any of that resonant? And she was very kind and gentle. Now, thus saith the Lord, he cometh as a horse and a rider with a tongue of fire. I mean, like, it was just real normal every day. Um, And you know what? As soon as she started talking, I knew exactly what she was talking about. And it had to do with a meeting I was about to have that week. And she didn't provide the answers, but she did say what God was going to do in general terms, which is exactly what he did. Exactly. So God, in his goodness, confirmed to my soul what he was about to do before he did it so that I would know it was God and not me. Is God doing that kind of thing? Absolutely yes. Right here in this church. Last Sunday, evening gathering, we finish and we get ready for communion. And during communion, while you guys go and grab the bread and the cup, I eventually get it. I'm just asking myself, Lord, is there anything you want to do that we haven't thought about? Is there anything that you're up to? Clue us in. We want to know what you're doing here and be open to you actually doing what you, it's his gathering. Like, you're invited, you know, like to do what you want to do. And so a couple of thoughts came to mind. The first one was absolutely strange. And um, I was like, oh man, Lord, you have to do this one. So uh, it was, there's someone here in the gathering. You're going to laugh at me. Whose pet is sick. And they're distraught by it. Just remind them, he knows about their pet. And he cares. This that, I was like, Oh, this is so, okay. Anything better? And is there anything better in God that you want to say? Because that doesn't sound very, very hip. And then, God in his goodness, just my eyes glanced over at a couple. And uh, they have a need you don't know about. You need to meet that need. Just tell the church, meet that need. Okay, great. So I, I go over to Scott. I'm like, quote, it's about to get weird. It does not, it's not, I'm like, it's about to get weird. All right. He's like, all right. Scott and I have been together for a long time. And, and it's, it's, if you want to get technical, the Bible calls it prophecy. Is where God brings to mind the thing that he is doing. And it's in the moment. It's spontaneous. Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. It always needs to be tested. But God speaks in the moment. And so I got up and, you know, shared. It was that and another one. And, and so just shared it right after the gathering. First guy comes up to me and says, this is going to sound crazy to you, but if you have a pet, you understand. It's like, my cat has become a diabetic. And as a matter of fact, I just took my cat to the emergency room. And I thought I was going to die this weekend. And he just loves his cat, right? And he's like, thank you, because it just reminded me that God is with me. Now, the word wasn't God's going to heal your cat, but it was a reminder to him that God knows what he's going through. And it was a word of encouragement for him to lean on God, right? Then the weirder one, I pointed out this couple, said, this couple has a need. We're going to meet it. So there's going to be, I'm not doing this, but I'm saying what happened last week, is going to be, we're going to get a basket. And then Michaela, she runs and gets a basket. We're going to have a basket in the back. And if God is stirring you to give towards the need, I don't even know what it is. Give. That was it. Thousands of dollars were given by 110 people. 
mostly young people. Like that. Now, we give glory to God. Why? Because the Father knows what we need. And when we ask and seek and knock, God does what God does. So those are just stories about what's happening in this church in the last three weeks. I could take you to Wednesday, not even a week ago. There was a word about someone's right knee. And this is what came to mind, and I couldn't get it out. Shrapnel. Your knee is like shrapnel. And there's a guy in the military. He didn't have shrapnel in his knee, but while in the military, destroyed his knee. And now it's, it's been a constant problem. And I was like, God, you want to bring healing? Did God heal him? I don't know yet. But God brought to mind, what I'm saying is prayer is not a one-way monologue, us to God, saying, God, here are our sheepish little things, if you have time, because I know you're controlling the universe, and you don't really care about me a lot, but if you have any leftover time, help me out. Or prayer could be for us, shameless audacity, where we say, God, here we are, there's a gathering of a couple hundred people. We actually need you to do some stuff, because look, you look pretty, but let's be honest. It's not all pretty on the inside. It's not all pretty in here. Trust me, I have a role where I see a lot and it's not all tidy. There's a lot of hurt, a lot of struggle, a lot of pain. And here's the cool thing. We're invited to hear and interact with the Almighty. And he wants to do what he wants to do in you now. All of these stories were intended with one purpose, that you will elevate your faith in God. That you will actually trust that God can and will do what is beyond you in the here and the now. And I hope that's happened because I asked you before, what's your impossible prayer? I mean, Lord, we could, we could just use a little gas in the vehicle. Just a little tank, not even full. No, What's the impossible one that if God did not step in, it would not happen? Why don't we start at that level and go up from there? You cannot out-ask God. You can't. And when you're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, your name be great. Let me tell you, you're not going to ask for spidey powers. You're not. You're going to ask for God to do what no one could do for others. That's what's going to happen. You're going to start praying less about you and you're going to start praying for other people. Less about this church alone and more about the city of Hillsborough. Less about just America, but you're going to read the news about Syria or other parts of the world and your heart's going to be burdened for things that two years ago, you didn't even give a rip. But now your heart's stirred because you're praying your kingdom come. I want to be that church. That, if you want to know what's the vision for the year, that's the vision for the year. That we would grow and be the ridiculous church. The untidy church. The, hey man, I don't know, but if, if you actually need God to do something, you ought to go there. Because God or some divine force is doing something and real change is happening over there. What if we were that kind of church? So you're like, I would leave. <laughs> and I, I, I actually say, in all honesty, some of you will not be here a year from now. And I hope it's not because we've offended you, but because 
you actually will refuse to believe that God wants to do what God wants to do. And to that, we say, like, we love you. We send you a blessing. I hope you don't go. But we're either going to pray according to your limitations or God's. And when in doubt, no offense, I'm going to go with God. And I hope you do too.